everybody. Welcome back to Pagan's Witchy Corner. My name is Pagan, and this week I'm joined by a really awesome author who I was very, very, very wonderfully surprised when reading their book. And that is, and Cliff, you're going to have to help me out here if I butcher your last name. I butcher everybody's name, so I'm sorry if I do. Uh, Cliff Serentine? Serentine. Serentine. Okay. Yep. And Cliff is the author of The Wildwood Way, Spiritual Growth in the Heart of Nature. Your book was fantastic. It was so fantastic. I was so... I, you know, with shamanic books, when you walk into them and all that, you kind of, it's going to be one of those ones where it's very textbook-like or it's very spiritual-like. Yours made me forget that I was reading a nonfiction book. I, oh. it was so captivating that it brought me into your world and I completely forgot that I was reading a nonfiction book and thought for a minute i was like wow this feels like a fiction book i know it's not but it feels like <laughs> one your storytelling was so captivating and so wonderful and i there's like one story that i'll ask you about um but before that what made you decide to write this book now i know this is a republish but what made you originally decide to uh write this book oh um i I wanted to communicate with people. I've always tried to communicate with people that it's that it's a very fulfilling and even essential thing to live closely with nature. I've, I've really lived most of my life in wilderness areas, except for my university days. And I, I, when I was in the city, I had this experience. Well, I grew up out in the sticks and the bayous in Louisiana, and then I lived in the Alaskan wilderness for much of my life. But when I finally was in the city going to university it was the first time I'd ever seen people living really apart from things. And then over later years, as I began to work as a psychotherapist, I saw so much people struggling so much with stress and aiming to, um, well, just, just deal with so many things that modern life throws at us. And yet in the natural world, life is generally very content, very happy. There's just a deep and rich fulfillment among it. So I wanted to write a book that was as you described a moment ago really drew people into that natural world and not only told them about the the benefits of living a life closer to nature but really illustrated it deeply um all my all my life and my professional work i've been drawn to this field that has existed for decades about 100 years now that very few people really know much about called happiness science because I'm a psycho a psychotherapist by profession and what is mental health if not happiness mm -hmm. and we we know from happiness science a great deal about happiness we we actually it's an extremely reliable and validated science um scientifically speaking we can we have a very good sense of what happiness is and how it's obtained and a huge part of happiness in life is learning to slow down and smell the roses so to speak and i think sometimes in this hectic modern world, we even forget where the roses are at times, if you know what I mean. Yes, I completely 100% agree with everything you've said. I, I think that, and your book encapsulates that so beautifully. And like I said, it really did bring me into the wilderness with you. And, you know, I, I was visualizing everything that you were seeing. The pictures were fantastic as well, but even without them, you painted such a gorgeous picture of nature itself and what you were experiencing and the magic within it that made it so captivating that 
you just really did forget that you were actually even reading this book that was supposed to again be a nonfiction book which was just absolutely so good um so everybody out there this is shameless plug time this is that moment where i'm going to tell you go buy cliff's book if you if you just want a book that is going to captivate you that's one reason secondly it's astoundingly good so there's going to be a link in the description make sure you guys go click it go buy it and connect with cliff as well all of that stuff's going to be in there but that was a shameless plug now back to your regularly scheduled programming <laughs> um now what was some of the things that kind of led you down the spiritual and shamanic path that was more accident than intention um i i i'm a cajun i know there aren't too many of us left i don't think there's certainly very few that still speak cajun french but uh i grew up in a life where i guess you could say magic was just part of daily life i mean as a little kid my grandmother my grandmère was warning me you know to watch uh watch out for things in the bayou and be in before dark or otherwise the fifile or the lucaru or the permanent the permafe might get me and um you know in ways to protect myself from such things and it was just part of life it was it was not unusual to go hiking and come across uh, sigils and and things, um, little little clay sculptures and whatnot that had been left out in the swamps. And I, at the time, I hadn't really thought of it. I just, you know, I was just a kid, and to me, that was life. That was just the way life was lived. It was later on when I when I was seventeen and went to uh, Alaska for the first time and began living in the bush that I I met some wonderful fellow Haida by the name of Blue Sky. And uh, he was the one who really began to introduce me to the idea of the trees not as living entities. I remember once we were out hiking, and this was in the Kenai Peninsula on the south side of Alaska, and we were hiking through the bush, not uh, a few miles from our cabins. Mm -hmm. And he looked up at the trees and he said, these trees are sick. I had no idea what he meant. And I thought he meant like a pathogen or insects. And I said, well, I don't, I don't see what's wrong with them. And he said, their brothers are down. They are not happy. And it got me to really thinking at that point about, the, about seeing the world beyond just a tree, a plant, an animal, seeing the world as something deeper and, and richer. And then as I spent more and more time up there, I lived with, uh, you know, the Haida and, and the Yupik, got to know the Yupik very closely. And, um, it, I got to see this wonderful and unique way of life that, honest to God, I, I had no idea it was shamanism. I wasn't too familiar with the term till years later because they never described themselves that way. They would have mm -hmm. just said they were living in the wild. And um, but um, yeah, that's that's what drew me to it was I guess just just experience, just living a life that was close to the wild. I think that is so awesome. And I remember reading that passage in your book about the the trees being sick. And it's really interesting when you, you know, start kind of tapping into that, that world and understanding it, um, especially how the trees, they, they, they communicate in such a way, even on a spiritual level with humans, that is really difficult to describe. And I remember we had some neighbors that bought a piece of land right next to ours and they weren't the best human beings. That's the best way I can probably phrase that. And they decided to chop down all of these really old 
wild cherry trees that didn't need to be chopped down. They weren't in the way. They just wanted to chop them down. And I remember telling my husband one day, I was like, after I had done a really deep trance meditation, I was like, the trees are screaming and it's really loud. And he kind of looked at me for a minute and he was like, what are you talking about? I said, the trees they cut down, they're all screaming, the spirits. And he was like, probably because they didn't need to be cut down. And I was like, yeah, their spirits have nowhere to go. The spirits that were living there don't have any place to go now. That's That was their home. And so it, it was just a really interesting, profound experience to also kind of see the similarities with what you were uh, talking about in your book. So that was really cool. Really, really cool. It turns out there's a lot of truth to those, um, those perhaps visceral perceptions of uh, persons that have lived close to the wilds for a long time as well. Uh, we now know, for example, that when plants and trees are hurting, they do in fact emit sound. It's ultrasonic, mm -hmm. so we can't hear with our ears, but it most definitely can be recorded. And at the area of the root systems, uh, you'll see a chaos of electronic and chemical signals going back and forth between trees when the trees are infected or hurt. So there's actually scientific truth to that. I took a photograph a couple of years ago. I I uh, can send it to you sometime. If you, if you look at the image itself, it doesn't look all that impressive unless you understand what is going on. Mm -hmm. And it's a tree panicking. It was an apple tree that I came across growing in the forest and the wild trees are more vigorous and they had entirely surrounded it and pretty much choked it out from sunlight. And so this tree was sending out little shards of branches everywhere trying to catch any little glimmer of sunlight coming in beneath the the taller trees. And that's effectively a tree panicking as it drowns. That's that's what it does, just in the same way people, if they're drowning, would would reach out in every direction and grasp mm -hmm. for any little thing. That they, you know, there's a there's an awareness to the world around us that we're only now as human beings becoming uh, becoming aware of ourselves. We used to think, for example, things had to have brains to think. They don't need brains to think. There are many things that show intelligence that don't have a, a brain made of neurons or nerve cells. Um, I think it was Shakespeare who wrote, the world is uh, wider and deeper than we expect. I think that that's very true. And I'm um, obsessed with the uh, mycelium networks and how they work and pretty much anything to do with mushrooms because I think that they are just fantastic, amazing creatures that are so st still mysterious to humans, but yet we still also know so much about them. But the mycelium networks that, you know, flow through the soil and that um, even like I put mycelium powder within all of my garden beds when I grow every year because it helps all the plants communicate with each other through the same networks that are developed that through that. And it's just something that, you know, talking about that apple tree and all that and the first thing that when you were describing it to me made me kind of go, I wonder if trees in a sense, you know, the trees that have been in the forest much longer than the apple tree were almost kind of not necessarily, I don't want to say trying to murder the apple tree, but I would say almost like bullying it to get out, like trying to make it move, um, which is almost, you know, of course we say that's physically impossible unless you live in Appalachia and there's walking trees and all the history that goes with that and the lore, uh, you know, <laughs> there's some interesting things in the world that I you just have to ask questions about, but it's a really a cool kind of experience. So on the supernatural aspects of some of your things in your book, you had described an experience um, 
when I think you were out gathering firewood and you kept hearing the sound that wasn't a moose, it wasn't a bear, but it was very loud and you kept hearing the branches breaking and all of these things. As somebody who has studied the paranormal and the occult and all of these different things, do you think that there was a Bigfoot that was communicating with you? I don't think it was a Sasquatch. I, I, I'll remember that day vividly all my life. I have no idea what that was to this very day. Um, the the Yupik and the, I think the Haida as well. Well, I know they mm-hmm. all have the these traditions of they call them shorties, or if they still speak uh, like the Yupik, if they still speak the Yupik language, they they call them Inukun, and uh, mm-hmm. they have other names for it as well. It refers to these fae spirits that live in something like another world. It's not quite this. It's not quite the afterlife but it's not quite earth either maybe it was that i don't know but you know whatever it was it broke through a line of trees like it was as big as an elephant and it, it just left a scattering of uh well you you read the story it mm-hmm. left a scattering of, of shattered branches and detritus behind it and uh it, it was so strange though because it didn't leave tracks that's really wild fall. That's yeah. so wild. You know, because, you know, anybody who's ever studied Bigfoot lore, um, you would know that some of the ways that they communicate is they break branches and they will hit them against trees and they make very large um, pathways because of how big that they are. And especially if they're angry and they're moving through stuff, they'll just destroy stuff. So, you know, reading that, I was like, I wonder if he was kind of trying to chase down a Bigfoot. That's really interesting. It was it was such a like captivating thing that like when I was reading I was like I have to know what happens next and then you're just like I never found it and I'm like oh well that's disappointing. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's life. I, I tried. <laughs> <laughs> it was such a like I said you are such a captivating storyteller throughout the entirety of your book that again it's one of those things when I was sitting there reading it it felt like I was not in a non-fiction book I felt like I was in a fiction book that I was reading some tale of something that you know was happening and you know I read books from every walk of life and it was one of those things that it was just so good oh my gosh your book was phenomenal <laughs> I will gush about it all day long it was so good <laughs> um the other thing I absolutely loved about your book is your homesteading journey. I am a homesteader myself, and it was totally my cup of tea reading the whole thing about all of the things that you do and from your hunting to your gathering to the way that you just all of it was just so captivating. So out of all of your homesteading adventures from the bayou to the bush in Alaska to Nova Scotia, wherever you have lived, what was your favorite homesteading adventure? Oh my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. If you can't pick just one top three. (laughs) Yeah. So I've lived almost my entire, even, even my university I did in Anchorage, which we lived literally at the edge of the city. I could walk out the back door and be in the bush in minutes. Anchorage is a very compact little city. It it Mm -hmm. just suddenly ends. Favorite. Um, Honestly, you know, as weird as this might sound to hear, it wasn't, um, it was when I was sailing, actually. I was sailing off the south coast of Alaska and um, with my two daughters and my wife was, uh, she had to work that week. So we ended up having to go without her because that's how my my time worked. But I was back to my student days. Anyway, um, 
we had the girls were starting to get seasick and I didn't really care how much distance we covered. I just wanted to get out on the water. And so uh, we were probably 40, 50 miles from Seward and and uh, I saw a cove to the north that were getting seasick. So I, I veered north and we dropped a couple anchors in the cove and it's a nice spot. I figured we'd just stay there for a few days. And there was this, we, we noticed it on the second day in, in the mist, there was this ramshackle cabin half hidden in the shadows of the forest. Mm-hmm. Clearly no roads, no trails. This is really out in a, a wild, rugged area. But out of curiosity, we thought there was an old hunting cabin. We were going to go on the beach and pick um and, and, and get some um, clams and such for dinner that day anyway. So we took the, the dinghy over there and and uh, the girls got curious. We went up and explored it. It was the strangest place. It was built in a place that, excuse me, it was built in a place that I know the Yupik and the Haida would have considered to be quite magical. It was a between mm-hmm. place. It was a tiny isthmus, and like 30 yards to the south was the sea. And 30 yards to to the north was the cove, and immediately um, immediately up the Isthmus was this beautiful wild mountain range. It just had every kind of landscape coming together right there. Oh, wow. And, but all around this little cabin, there were all these skulls, not human skulls. They were just like fish skulls and, and um, skulls of little raccoons and, and skulls of rodents and even some skulls of moose and deer and such. And they were all set facing outward around that cabin as if they were looking out they were, And I, I believe it was probably a, a trapping cabin for some of the Aboriginal folk down there. Um, I, I've seen, I've seen things like that, like little, little posts where the skulls of animals are set to look out over the landscape and things like that. Mm-hmm. But it, it too, it remains something of a mystery in my mind to this very day. And it was, uh, it was just, I love the, those little mysteries we came across. I, um, Unfortunately, I, I no longer knew Blue Sky at that time. I don't know where he went, so I had never had a chance to ask him about that. That is so cool. I mean, it, to, to find those places, I, I've only been to Alaska one time, and I was seven years old, and I haven't had the chance to go back since. But, like, there is a part of my soul that is, like, craving to go back to Alaska because there's something so liminal about the entirety of Alaska. Um, and the just everything that you see in pictures and movies and shows and books about Alaska it just has that liminal feel to it that makes you just go I don't understand what is so spiritual about, the, about this place but as you know another spiritual being I want to go and at least try to be there and to understand it which you know anybody who is listening to this podcast knows that the spiritual journey is the ultimate goal trying to get to the end is never going to happen because there is no end. So it's one of those really awesome experiences and hearing that that was so cool and so interesting. And, you know, I, it's funny how you hear about these just hunting cabins that are, you know, scattered throughout the bush and everywhere else in Alaska, Northern Canada. And, you know, in the lower 48, uh, that's not a common practice at all. Um, it's not common to find those kind of cabins that would be open and accepting to people who are hunting and, you know, being in that area. Um, so it's really interesting to see how that works out and just to find those kind of spaces that 
like I said, everything you talk about between your book and on the show right now is just so cool. It's making my little heart happy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you have if you've published a few books in the past, do you have any new ones that you may be coming out with or any classes or anything that you are working on right now that you want to share with everybody? Well, I am planning to write a book on foraging sometime soon. I, uh, I teach foraging here mm -hmm. in Maritime Canada, as well as other aspects of natural history. And uh, I've been meaning to write, a, not, a, not a field guide, but more of a book on how foraging can bring you closer to nature and how it teaches us oh, all so kinds cool. of levels. So yeah, that's, that's in the works. It's um, probably a project to get onto next winter. I'm uh, pretty well book solid teaching foraging classes all of this summer. Mm -hmm. uh, I started teaching the foraging a while back because we have a problem here in Canada. That's that Canada has is one of the worst deforesting countries in the world. And people frequently just see the woodlands as a source of basic wood and revenue. And un because unfortunately, self-interest is such a powerful motivator, I thought a long time ago that uh, Perhaps if you can show people there is a lot more value in leaving those woodlands standing than just mm -hmm. taking them down for a profit they're going to see once in 100 years might be helpful in this cause. So I started teaching foraging a while back and it's it's become something other. It's um, like a, every year it has grown and turned into its own thing. So, yeah, that's that's classes I'm doing lately, a lot of foraging and other aspects. I, I teach ethology with animal behavior, tracking um wildlife observation and uh but but and, and a lot of fungi and or fungi and, and plant identification in the foraging mm -hmm. classes but the next book will almost definitely be one on the on the philosophy and spirituality to be found in foraging oh that is so cool i can't wait for that you're gonna have to come back on the show and talk all about that as well because that sounds just fantastic I'd be happy to do so <laughs> <laughs> now if people want to connect with you uh where can they find you uh, well, I'm on Facebook uh, under Closerentine. I um, it's probably the easiest way these days. I used to maintain a website, but um, blogs seem I don't know. It seemed to me they were becoming a thing of the past. So I mostly just keep a Facebook profile, and it's a public profile. Anybody can can catch me there. Okay. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful. I'm so thankful that we got to connect and I'm so thankful you got to come on the show. And I can't wait to have you back on the show when your new book, uh, whenever that maybe comes out. That'll be fantastic. And everybody who's listening, go pick up a copy of The Wildwood Way. Like I said, links are going to be in the show description. Connect with Cliff. If you are in the uh, Nova Scotia area, Maritime Canada, is that where you're at? Yes. Um, connect with Cliff if you want to take one of his classes, and it will be an absolutely wonderful experience. I can already tell. I I wish I was closer because I would go take one myself. <laughs> It'd be fun to have you. <laughs> uh, but everybody who's listening, make sure you take care of yourself, be good to each other, and we will see you all next time. If you're a lover of Pig and Switchy Corner, then prepare for some really exciting news. I have started a new podcast, Pagan's Reading Nook. Don't worry. I'm still going to be creating all the Pagan Switchy Corner content that you all love. But as you all know, I have a huge passion and love of books, which has led me to create this new show. On Pagan's Reading Nook, I will be discussing the books that I'm reading, showcasing brand new titles, and sitting down with some amazing authors to talk about the worlds and the characters they've created. I will also be discussing new releases, fan favorites, and classic tales that have enchanted us throughout time. So, 
If you are a fan of this show, make sure you head over there and subscribe and grab your favorite beverage and join me as we dive into harrowing tales, seductive romances, and thrilling adventures in the fiction world. Thank you.